Okay, well, today we come to chapter 5 in our study of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So please go ahead and open up your Bibles there, Revelation chapter 5. In chapter 4, we studied last week how John was in the Spirit and taken into heaven where he saw the one who sat on the throne. He gave a brief description of him to us and he also declared to us that there were 24 thrones with 24 elders around the throne of God. John described to us in chapter 4 the beauty of God and the beauty of the area around the throne. He gave us a picture of the power of the throne in heaven with the description of thunder and lightning. And yet with all of this beauty and all of the power of heaven and the power of the one who, of course, sits on the throne, there is a peace and a calmness there that John described to us as well by using the term a sea of glass. We also saw last week that the holiness of the throne of God is protected by four living creatures that John describes there in chapter 4. And we talked about the symbolism of the living creatures in kind of paralleling them with the four gospels of Jesus Christ. Jesus is, of course, portrayed as king in the gospel of Matthew, and the first living creature in Revelation 4 is represented by a lion, which of course is the king of the beasts and a symbol of royalty. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is pre presented as the suffering sacrifice, and the second, second living creature we saw described was like a calf, which of course was used in the Old Testament times as a beast of sacrifice. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is the perfect man, and the third living creature is described as having the face of a man. Then finally, the fourth living creature was represented in chapter 4 by an eagle, which is known for its sovereignty and supremacy. And Jesus, in the Gospel of John, is portrayed in, to us as God's supreme. So that's just some symbolism that we can use from the New Testament to compare with those four living creatures that John described, as I mentioned to you last week, when it comes to the book of Revelation, there are many different things that we could study in regards to each and every verse. And I personally, like I said last week, do not become dogmatic about any one particular viewpoint. I simply believe that this book, the book of Revelation, is so awesome, so powerful, and so deep that the Holy Spirit will be teaching it to us for the rest of our lives, if we'll just take the time to keep digging deep into it, okay? But it's definitely a very deep book, and there's a lot to study and a lot of different viewpoints that we can look at with it. But anyway, on Sunday mornings like this, we can only go so far and so deep, if you will. But with all that being said, we come to chapter 5 today. And as we look at verse 1... Here it says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with 
seven seals. Now, listen, because what we're about to study, to me, it actually would, what I say, what I would call it, blows the human mind. What do I mean by that? Well, what is about to be described is something so fantastic, to say the least, and we're not going to be able to get into all of it today, of course. It's amazing, though. As a matter of fact, I, I wouldn't hesitate to say that, you know, it's to use the word awesome is, you know, appropriate here, right? It's just that good. Because, like I say, here in verse 1, we see, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. You see, this scroll that is in the hand of God contains more than what one verse could ever describe to us. If we casually just look at verse 1 here and say, oh, this is kind of cool, right? A, a scroll in the hand of God with some stickers on it maybe that seal it shut, right? Well, if that's what we think, we have no idea of all the power that will be described as we study this scroll coming up here. And again, we're not going to be able to cover all of what this scroll contains this morning. It's going to take a couple of weeks, but it's nothing short of astounding, okay? But so far, we see that the scroll is sealed with seven sealed seals, and there is writing on the front and on the back of this scroll, and it's in the hand of God. So there's a lot of information contained on this scroll. There's writing on the front and on the back, or on the inside and on the back, right? Then verse 2, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to take the scroll and to loose its seals? So basically there's a question. It's like, anybody? Anybody want to raise their hand here? And say that they're worthy to do this? Any takers out there? Do any of you 24 elders want to step up and try and take this scroll out of God's hand? Do you think you're worthy? How about you four living creatures over there? Do you want to step up to the plate here and deal with this scroll? Do any one of you, do you want to take this scroll out of God's hand? Verse 3, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it, right? So I told you, this scroll contains something powerful. But there was no one in heaven that could open up this amazing scroll. Then the Apostle John says in verse 4, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But don't worry, right? Because there's good news ahead. Verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So one of these 24 elders says to John, right? And this is kind of my paraphrase of it here. But he says, Hey, John, don't cry, my brother. Look over there. I want to show you something. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So who is this? This is awesome. Someone will be there to open this scroll and to loose its seven seals when this point in time in the future comes. Who is this 
worthy one that is, you know, worthy of doing this job? Well, first of all, let me tell you this. The name Judah means to praise. This is significant in our study this morning, and I'll show you why here. Go ahead and mark this page in your Bibles, and I'll have you turn to the book of Genesis. So mark this page and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49. Now what's taking place in this chapter here is that Jacob, who is also known as Israel... He's, he's called all of his sons together. And in this chapter, he will tell them all that was going to happen to them in their future. Okay, So Jacob has called all of his sons together and he's going to tell them what will happen to them in their future. Now, these 12 sons of Jacob slash Israel, they represent the 12 tribes of Israel. But here in, ver- in chapter 49, and looking down at verses 8 and 9, Jacob will speak to his son Judah here. And he says in verse 8, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Remember, the name Judah means praise. Okay, So Jacob says to his son Judah, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. Now what is a whelp? A whelp is a a cub, a baby lion. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? So Jacob is seeing something very special in his son Judah here. As he's prophesying over the future of Judah. He's seeing something very special. Someone, in a sense, that you don't want to mess with. Someone that is worthy of others to bow down to. Now let me interject something here. Judah was indeed a man. He was the son of Jacob. But Judah is also a place. Okay? It is the southern part of the land of Israel, and it includes the cities of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Okay? It covers most of the area between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea. And of course, Judah, the place, was named after Judah, the man, who we see Jacob slash Israel blessing here in chapter 49 of Genesis. Now, Jesus not only came out of the place of Judah, but he is also of the line of Judah, the man, the lineage of Judah. Okay? Judah was an ancestor of Jesus, but Jacob refers to Judah as a lion. This is a prophecy that the king will rise out of the tribe of Judah. Royalty will come from the tribe of Israel, okay? 
as, as if you take, and if you take the time to trace the descendants of Judah, you will go back, you'll come to King David, and if you keep going, you, you'll eventually come up to Joseph, who would eventually raise up Jesus here on this earth, okay? So again, I'm pointing out here that there's two things. Judah is a place, but also Judah was a man. Judah was the son of Jacob slash Israel. Now, of the tribe of Judah, of that lineage, will come, would come King David. Then in the future, it would go all the way up to Joseph, who would be the earthly father of Jesus Christ and who would raise um, Jesus up here. Also, you can go and study, um, I believe it's in Deuteronomy, and I don't think I'll discuss it today, but Judah also was somebody that was good with his hands. And that lineage would carry on through that all the way up to Joseph, a carpenter, and on to Jesus, who was raised up as a carpenter as well. But um, the bottom line here is what we're getting to here is that Jesus is the lion, the lion of Judah being spoken of here in Revelation. And all will bow in praise of him. And the name Judah means to praise. Okay, So this is the point I wanted to make to you here. But let's just read a little bit more here in verse 10, Genesis 49. Jacob continues to speak to his son Judah. And he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. See the capital S on Shiloh? Until Shiloh comes. And to him... Shiloh shall be the obedience of the people. Now, what is Jacob prophesying of here? Well, the tribe of Judah lived under the rule of the scepter. Now, the scepter is a symbol of authority and is the rule of the law. Okay, So the, the tribe of Judah lived under the rule of the law all the way up until Shiloh came. Who's Shiloh? Shiloh is the Messiah. Jesus came. The scepter, the rule of law, departed from Judah at that point. And at that point, the rule now rests in the hand of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, where it will forever remain. Jesus is now the lawgiver, if you will. And we now sit at the feet of Jesus to learn truth and to learn righteousness and to learn how we should live. Okay, so the law was done away with. Okay, it, it, when the Messiah came, it was passed on, and now Jesus rules and reigns. Right? Okay, Hebrews chapter one tells us that in these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son Jesus Christ. Now, that's an important scripture for us to understand, because many people today, so many of us say, "I want to hear from the Lord." I don't hear from the Lord. I, some people say they hear from the Lord, and I don't hear from the Lord, and I want to hear from the Lord. Well, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that God in these last days has spoken to us in one way, in one final way, and that is in Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus is the Word made flesh. And today we have the Word. We have our Bibles, and we can learn of Jesus and we can know God's will for our lives only by studying the Word of God and knowing the Word of God. And then more importantly than that, not just studying the Word of God and knowing the Word of God, but then living out the Word of God. 
Okay, so that's how we sit at the feet of Jesus today. That's how we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of him. That's how we hear his voice. It's only through his word. It's, it's kind of, to me, I, I simplify everything, but it's kind of common sense. You won't know my words unless you hear my voice, right? You won't know my voice unless you hear my words. Well, I don't know the voice of God unless I hear his word. And le- that's why scripture tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, how do we increase our faith? We increase our faith through the word of God. Okay? And how do we hear? We've got to hear the word of God in order to increase our faith. So we've got to study it. Hear it being taught to us, right? But for you and me today, Jesus now rules and reigns. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And as it says there at the end of verse 10, And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Okay? He is the only one, the one and only one that we are to obey. He is the one and only one that we are to bow down in praise to. So to him shall be the obedience of the people. So all of that there to show you that Jesus is the lion, the lion of Judah, the root of David. Okay? This is the lineage of our Lord and Savior. And again, to him we know that every knee will bow in praise someday and obedience. Right? Again, Judah means to praise and Jesus is alone the one worthy of our praise. And what I'd like to suggest to you, as I mentioned to you at the end of last week's study, I suggest that you start the practice now of praising the Lord. Because he's worthy of all of our praise. And it is what we're going to do someday for all of eternity. And as we flip back now to Revelation chapter 5. Back in Revelation chapter 5. John is about to see Jesus the Lion of Judah, in this part of the vision. And the elder is telling John that Jesus is the one that has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then John says in verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So the lamb spoken of here is Jesus. The elder announced in verse 5 there, he said, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the one, again, that came from the tribe of Judah and is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. He has conquered sin and death and and all power is his. But when John turned around to look at who the elder was drawing his attention to, John saw a lamb as though it had been slain. So what is John giving us an image of here? John is seeing Jesus 
the one that has the markings of his earthly sacrifice. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was nailed to a cross. But he is alive. And John is seeing Jesus standing in heaven in the midst of the throne and in the midst of the elders and in the midst of the four living creatures. The work of Jesus on this earth is now being seen in heaven. In this part of the vision, we see that Jesus is still bearing the wounds of earth. He is the Lamb of God who took the punishment of all the sins of the world. He is both the Lion and the Lamb. As the Lion of Judah, Jesus fulfills the prophecy that we read in Genesis chapter 49. And as the Lamb of God, Jesus was the perfect and the ultimate and the final sacrifice for sin. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ was the ultimate victory of God over the forces of sin and evil. Jesus secured the ultimate victory at Calvary. And because of this, he is worthy to receive and to open this scroll that I'm telling you is amazing, right? Which, because this scroll contains the righteous judgment of God upon this earth. Sin rules and reigns on this earth right now, but it will all be judged one day. And for the born-again believer, we conquer sin today as we walk by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Again, the cross is the key for us today. Without the shedding of the blood of Jesus on the cross, we would have no hope at all of eternal life in heaven. He is the Lamb, right? And as I've already stated, John sees Jesus here in heaven, and he is still bearing the wounds of the earth, the wounds of the cross. Okay, so at the risk of being redundant here, I just want to be clear that when Jesus is referred to as the lion and the lamb, we are to see him as not only the conquering king who will slay the enemies of God at his return, but also he is the sacrificial lamb who took away the reproach of our sin, right? And has given us the ultimate victory in him. Okay, now remember, we are seeing a lot of symbolism here in the book of Revelation. And as we also see there in verse 6, that as John describes how he is seeing Jesus here, he also sees that he has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And again, we've got to look at this from a symbolic way. Okay. Now, as I briefly mentioned last week, seven is the number of completion or the number of perfection in the Bible. For example, God rested on the seventh day. The work of creation was complete. Until this very day, we still observe a seven-day week as a result of that. Okay? In Exodus chapter 22, the law stated that the animals used for sacrifice had to be at least seven days old before you could sacrifice them. In 2 Kings chapter 5, a man named Naaman was commanded to bathe in the Jordan River seven times in order to be completely healed of his leprosy. 
In Joshua chapter 6, Joshua was, was told to march for seven days around the city of Jericho. Seven times around and blow seven trumpets. You'll find seven pairs of each clean animal on the, on the ark in Genesis chapter 7. Seven stems of the tabernacle's lampstand in Exodus chapter 25. Seven qualities of the Messiah are listed in Isaiah chapter 11. Seven signs in John's gospel. Seven things the Lord hates in Proverbs chapter 6, 16. Seven parables in Matthew chapter 13. And seven woes in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus is the sevenfold I am in the Gospel of John. And Jesus told Peter that we were to forgive 70 times 7. What's interesting though, that's the number of perfection. That's the number of completion. But what's interesting though is that man was created on the sixth day of creation. And in some passages of the Bible, the number 6 is associated with mankind. In Revelation we will see that the number of the beast is called the number of man, 666. So if God's number is seven, then man's number is six. Six falls short of heaven, just like all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As we see in Romans chapter 3, right? We see that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Man is not God and never will be God, just as six is not seven. So again, seven, the number of perfection. So what about the horns and eyes here in verse six? Again, it says seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Throughout the Bible, horns represent power. Jesus is all powerful. He's omnipotent. Okay. Picture, if you will, a bull with his head down using his horns to push back something, push back his foe, right? Let's mark this page and turn to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 3. And what's taking place here is that Moses is about to die. And Moses is now, just like we saw Jacob pronouncing a blessing over his kids and what their future was, right? Moses is now pronouncing a blessing over the people of God. And he's addressing the 12 tribes of Israel. Look at verse 1. Now, this is the blessing which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. Okay, now, I just want to say here that Joseph is a typology of Jesus Christ. Now, I won't go into the whole story here this morning, but you can go back on your own and read the story of Joseph and see the similarities between Joseph and Jesus. But skip down to verse 13. So Moses is pronouncing this blessing on the tribes, right, on the people of Israel. Then down in verse 13, and and of Joseph, he said, so this is what Moses blessed Joseph. He said, blessed 
of the Lord is his land. With the precious things of heaven, with the dew and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush, let the blessing come on the head of Joseph. So Moses is saying he's given his favor upon Joseph. Joseph, or excuse me, Moses, Moses was the one who dwelt in the bush, remember? But he says, let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. So what a great blessing we see Moses bestowing upon Joseph here. But you can't help but see the typology of Jesus Christ here, the similarity, right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to the Lord. But look at verse 17. It says in verse 17, His glory is like a firstborn bull, and His horns like the horns of a wild ox. Together with them He shall push the peoples to the end of the earth. So again, what, I'm, what I wanted to point out to you here is this picture of horns being used to push with power. Horns there representing power, right? We saw in Revelation 1-5 too, we saw that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. He is the conquering one. He is the all-powerful one. But in Revelation 1-5, we also see that he is the one who loved us and washed us in his blood. Again, we see a picture of the lion and the lamb. So back in Revelation 5, horns represent power, eyes represent vision. Jesus is all-powerful, but he also sees all. He is omniscient. He, is, he has infinite awareness, infinite understanding, and infinite insight. And again, in verse 6 there, we see mentioned the seven spirits of God. And we have discussed the meaning of that in a couple of times in weeks past. And the seven spirits of God have been sent out into all the earth. But nothing will be unknown to the Lord. He knows all. He sees all. He is all powerful. And nothing can be hidden from him. And every sin will be judged. We're also told in the scriptures that every idle word we speak will be judged, right? But again, we talked about, um, again, just touching on the seven spirits of God, meaning the seven attributes of the one spirit of God, which is the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful Holy Spirit is gone forth into all the world. Wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and reverence, right? All of this has gone forth in the earth and nothing will escape the power of the Lamb that has been slain. Then verse 7 here continues. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp 
and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Wow. Again, just an amazingly powerful scene is taking place in this vision. Judgment is about to come on the whole earth. Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, is about to deal with all things. The scroll of judgment is now in His hands. All power and all authority has been given to Him. The four living creatures and the 24 elders, they know what's about to take place here. They fall down at the feet of Jesus and they begin to worship Him and they offer before Him the prayers of the saints. In Psalm 141, David said, Let my prayer be before you, O Lord, as incense. In Malachi chapter 1, it says, For from the rising of the sun, even to it goes down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among all. The nations, says the Lord of hosts. That's in Malachi chapter 1. And you see, as followers of Jesus today, we are called to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And our prayers are being heard, but our prayers are also being stored up in golden bowls in heaven. And we need to pray for the lost people that we know in our lives. For those that have not come to Christ. To those who have not come to that place in their heart where they bow their heart to the Lord and surrender their life to Him. Okay, For judgment will come soon. And James 5.16 tells us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We see in Acts 10 that the prayers of Cornelius came up for a memorial before God. So our prayers do matter and they will be heard and our prayers are so precious to God that they're being stored up in golden bowls. And these elders are presenting these prayers to the Lord as he takes this scroll out of the hand of the one who sits on the throne and he's about to to put judgment on the whole earth, right? And the prayers are going forth. Then in verse 9, right? And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. You, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God And we shall reign on the earth. So by the blood of Jesus, people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation can be redeemed. The gospel message is for all. It goes out to all. Because of Jesus, in the eyes of God, we are not sinners, but we are rather kings and priests. As I taught you all last week, we will one day rule and reign with Christ on the earth. And in this song, though, that we just read there in those verses, we see the cost of redemption. What was the cost of our redemption? 
the blood of Christ. We see the destination of our redemption. What is our destination? Jesus has redeemed us to God. And we see the result of our redemption. What is the result of our redemption? Because of the blood of Jesus, we shall reign on the earth. Then verse 11 continues. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So just a whole mess of them, right? A whole bunch of them there. So this is thousands upon thousands of thousands of angels that are now joining in with the four living creatures and the elders to worship Jesus, the Lamb that has been slain. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now I touched on this a little bit last week, but what is it that Jesus is worthy to receive from us? The first thing there in verse 12 that he is worthy to receive is power. Power over our lives. Power over the world. And power over all of the universe. He's worthy of all of that power. Remember, we see in the beginning, John weeps and he says, who is worthy to step up? I don't find anybody worthy to step up and open this scroll. But the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed and all power is his. Next, we see there riches. All of your silver, all of your gold, all of your dollar bills and all of your coins, it all belongs to Jesus and should be used for his glory and should be submitted to him for his will. Next on the list in verse 12, we see wisdom. What does that represent? Wisdom represents the finest of our intellectual powers. All of your mind, all of your soul, surrender to the Lord. Then we see strength, right? What does that represent? Your physical abilities. Your physical abilities submitted to the Lord. Your work and such, the job you do. Then we see that he is worthy for you to give him all honor. And honor is where you have a focused desire to magnify the Lord in all of your ways. Then we see glory. He is worthy to receive your devotion. Everything you say and everything you do glorifying his name. And lastly, there in verse 12, he is worthy of all of our praise. Let your heart pour out praises to him from the words that you sing, the words that you speak. He is worthy of all of our praise. Then verse 13, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. So what do we see there? We see all creation worshiping the Lord. You name it. Cows, chickens, dogs, cats, fish, birds, spiders, ants. Everything is going to one day 
praise the Lord. So why should it be so hard for us to do today? It shouldn't be, right? Verse 14, Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lived forever and ever. So what happened there? The song came to a close. And the four living creatures said, Amen. The 24 elders, again, whom I believe represented the church, they continued to worship him. See, we are called to be a people of praise. If you're a person of faith who has come to faith in Jesus Christ, then you have been redeemed. You have been redeemed out of this world. Jesus came to fulfill his purpose, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lamb of God who took away our sins. He took away the sin of the world. What we are to do is surrender to him. What we are to do is give our lives in devotion to him. It's not an easy thing. Jesus didn't say it was easy. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself and take up the cross and follow after me. So it means dying to ourselves. And you know, when we praise the Lord, when we live a life of praise, and when we sing songs of praise, and we speak words of praise and honor and glory to his name, it is a sacrifice. It's something that doesn't come natural to any of our human flesh. It doesn't come natural to any of us. But it's a sacrifice. But it's an easy sacrifice when we think about his sacrifice. And he is worthy to receive all praise, honor, and glory, and blessing forever and ever. Let's pray.